This is Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Pete Sampson. Tim O'Malley will be joining us shortly. We are now in our weekly schedule. It's Monday, July 8th, and uh, we got together with you folks a week ago. Not a ton has happened, mainly recruiting stuff, important recruiting stuff. Caleb Offord, the, the cornerback from Mississippi, Xavier Watts, the wide receiver, slot receiver slash safety from Nebraska, both verbally committed to Notre Dame, both very important to Notre Dame's recruiting uh, at this stage of the process. And, of course, we'll talk about the opening and Drew Pine, Michael Mayer, and Chris Tyree, but Pete, um, Xavier Watts, Caleb Offord, would you agree with me? Pretty important catches for Notre Dame at this stage of the process. Yeah, I think there are always points in the recruiting process where a prospect's importance maybe is enhanced because you look at what is after them if you miss. Yes. Um, And I think that's really true with Xavier Watts. Like, they liked Xavier Watts a lot and have for six, eight months, but if they missed on Xavier Watts, I would say that their receiver recruiting would maybe not be a failure, but it would be disappointing. Well, when, when you know, a couple of weeks ago you're talking optimistically about landing Jalen McMillan. Right. And then that falls through and you go ahead and pull the trigger with Jay Brunell, who can do some things, but clearly is a, is a three-star prospect at this time mm-hmm. in his career. Not sure how high the upside is there. And there's no doubt. I mean, Xavier Watts is really an interesting cat. I mean... You see him play safety. I mean, he's going to come up and thump you uh, as well. But he also he's got a little bit. He's, he's um, you know, has a little bit more size. Um, you know, and, and I, I think a guy that can he can run away from people. I think you can play him in the slot. He spends a lot of time in high school um, working. You know, working split out. So I think you've got great flexibility with him. Uh, free safety is an interesting notion, but you need the receivers. And I think ultimately, before this recruiting campaign's over, I don't know, maybe you feel differently about it. I mean, they're not going to get Lathan Ransom, but I do think that they'll come up with some solutions at safety. And maybe that means recruiting another cornerback or two, which allows somebody, um, you know, one of those previously committed cornerbacks, Bartleson, um, you know, guys like that to um, to move to safety. Yeah, I mean, they have to find some solutions, and I'm not sure where they're going to go necessarily, but I think they're going to have to take – they're going to have to reach farther than they've already reached, I think, on their the, – the Clarence Lewis, Caleb Offord, and Landon Bartleson. Um, you know, I, I don't know where that – where that I don't know that you're going to find. Them. Yeah, are you going to find hidden gems like that again? Maybe I, more hidden. I mean, it's yeah. like that's you're going to have to. You know, I think in star terms, you're going to have to after taking some mid three stars, you're going to have to take a low three star to round out your class. There's a kid named Ramon Henderson from Bakersfield, yeah, he's, California. He's, kinda, he's pretty in. interesting, actually. But it's like I mean, you look at his 24/7 composite rankings. Overall, 984, the 82nd ranked. Uh, Athlete prospect and the eighty sixth ranked prospect yeah. just in California. Pretty so. good, pretty good recruiting list of suitors. Sure, um, but I think all those other programs view him the way that Notre Dame is. Is like, well, we missed on A, B, C, and D. Yeah. We're onto the E list guys. Um, so, I mean, they're going to have to do something. I mean, Notre Dame would stridently <clears throat> tell you that they don't give a crap about where prospects are ranked. It's where they're ranked on their own board, but. I think Notre Dame, in a if you gave them the true serum, would say, "Hey, we're we're pretty far down our list at this point." Yeah. and they that's just where they are. It was I did a story on Caleb Offord on Friday. Um, talked to a couple of his trainers, his dad, obviously Caleb as well. And I mean, it was there's it, it a recruiting story here with 
Terry Joseph, the job he's doing, Todd Light, maybe not the presence on the trail that um, Notre Dame needs right now. So it's like they're they're recruiting the defensive backfield has been kind of underwhelming yeah. um, this cycle. You know, the Litchfield, Ezron, Kyle Hamilton, KJ Wallace, Isaiah Rutherford was were good last year. But I mean, you talk to Kyle Hamilton; it's the reason they went to Notre Dame was Terry Joseph and Clark Lee. Um, they just they need to do a better job at corner in terms of getting higher up the board. But you know, talking more about Caleb Offord specifically, um, going to Mississippi is really interesting to me. I mean, that's kind of a cool story. In the same way that pulling somebody out of Nebraska in Scott Frost mania times yes. is super interesting. Because <clears throat> yeah. I, as much as Notre Dame was confident in Xavier Watts, <clears throat> I kind of didn't think they were going to get him because of Scott Frost first sure. year um, syndrome that's happening. Uh, but Caleb Offord. You know, Mrs. Ole Miss didn't really push. He has a sister there. Um, Mississippi State wasn't really involved. He has twin siblings who are there. Have you figured that out yet? I just don't think that they saw him as a, a great prospect. I mean, you look at his, his offer list is not no, I know. not going to blow you away. No, but certainly you, not like Xavier Watson. No, but would. then you look, but then you look at the film, and I think it says something different. So I think it's, it's Caleb Offer to me is the corner version of um, Adeo Gondeje at defensive end. Okay. Physical traits off the charts, <laughs> but super raw, highly developmental prospect. Um, I get why some people didn't like him, um, but he's somebody that if you're going to roll the dice on a corner, you know, similar to Dante Vaughn, really, when he came out. Right. You know, and Dante Vaughn hasn't necessarily panned out, but give me that body type and see what you get three years later. Um, I think Caleb Offer is going to be a, a similar situation. I want, I, I'm. Attempting to get and and people uh, for at Irish Illustrated have asked about uh, getting an interview with Bill Reese and I think he's I'm trying very difficult to do that he's not a guy that likes the the limelight so it's it's difficult but I think if I can get him to talk about um, I don't think he wants to talk about being Tommy Reese's dad anymore as yeah. as it relates to being in Notre Dame and I you know hopefully we'll get an opportunity to talk to him about finding these three-star guys because I've got to believe that his fingerprints are on, uh, you know, the recruitment process of a guy like Caleb Offord, who, I mean, I would agree developmental, but man, the skill set is really, really good. And I don't know that necessarily that developmental process has to be, you know, two years per se. I don't know. I I think he can bridge that gap pretty quickly. Well, I mean, he's he's lean. He's lean, I wouldn't say he's super strong, which, like, how strong do you need to be to play corner? Um, You know, that's debatable. But, like, I mean, look, Notre Dame's cornerback recruiting is not, like, has not set the world on fire. like Sean Crawford didn't come in real strong. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I mean, I'm just in the sense of, like, they missed on a class entirely. Um, I think this year's freshman class is developmental in terms of K.J. Wallace being undersized, and he's small. I don't know if he's ever going to get big. Isaiah Rutherford played a million different positions. Um, he's not a, a sort of a, a true corner prospect. Right. <laughs> uh, and then you have the sophomore class. You know, DJ Brown was a corner, moved to safety. Noah Boykin left. Uh, Tariq Bracey, developmental uh, in terms of strength. Avery Davis, new to the position yeah, over there. Houston, There's a lot Houston of moving Griffith parts. is the only sort of guy yeah. who showed up sort of physically ready to go, and then they moved him to safety moving back to right. corner. So there's just a lot they have to sort through. But they they need three or four defensive backs in this class because right. they signed four last year, and the year before that was a little bit more vacant. Moving on to the, the opening, and O'Malley should be joining us here fairly soon. Um, Drew Pine, Michael Mayer, Chris Tyree, 
Mayer was MVP of the seven on seven. Chris Tyree was the fastest guy there. Drew Pine had his moments. He also had his moments where it looked like arm strength was an issue. Um, what are your thoughts on what occurred in uh, in well, Frisco? I mean, for Notre Dame's perspective, it's nice that they actually had the top of the top skill position guys yes. on offense. Because I mean, they get, the times I've been to the opening, the first year I went to the opening. The Notre Dame commits I saw were Parker Boudreau, Tommy Kramer, and Tony Jones. And I can tell you it was not that exciting to watch. <laughs> um, so for Notre Dame now to have fastest man, like the times I've been to the opening, I watched the fastest man competition. I'm like, well, like there's wow, there's like five guys who never even looked at Notre right. Dame in the finals here. <laughs> so for Tyree to win it twice is is impressive. Mayor is He's just. I mean, does that that really surprise me there? No, I. He's he's an elite tight end prospect. I wrote this the other day. I'm not sure, and maybe maybe because of what happened at the opening, it'll open some eyes. But I'm not sure that Notre Dame fans in general uh, know exactly how good Michael Mayer is. Well, yeah, and I think already there's like, oh, he's uh, baby Gronkowski, or he's the best tight end since Tyler Eifert. I'm like, just hold up, like. Maybe he'll be the best since Cole Komet, which would be really that good. Would be great. Um, but these are the kind of body types that not everyone signs. Notre Dame signs regularly, and and I mean for I think the job that Chip Long has sort of done tending to his own fields here, at tight end with Bauman and Mayer, Kane Barong after that, uh, helping obviously a ton with Tyree Jordan Johnson, um, Xavier Watts. They 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 have a kind of a, a recruiting hard ass on the trail and long yeah. and he's he's continues to prove that. So but I mean Mayer's is he gonna be someone who comes in and plays right away? Probably not if Brock Wright and Cole Komet are still here, but is he gonna be a three year starter? Probably. He's good if man. he play if he stays he's for good. four years. You know, and you have Tremble and Takis coming along. Uh Tremble I think showed in the spring that he's a guy that He's probably, when it comes to throwing the football to the tight ends this fall, he's going to be right there with Komet. Brock Wright's still trying to find his niche uh, as a pass catcher, but he's obviously more nimble than he was having dropped some weight. So, um, yeah, Drew Pine, uh, Tim O'Malley has joined us now. Um, Tim, you Drew Pine at the opening had his moments, uh, also showed that arm strength, is something, you know, and I equate that to, you know, there are pitchers that, yeah, they can improve their fastball, uh, but not not by a ton. And I think that he's just going to have to find ways to compensate for not having a real big arm. I will say it looked like he kind of overthrew it, too. Like he didn't really get his his form was not proper throwing that ball. Now, that doesn't mean he has a strong enough arm. I immediately, I told you this, Tim, I immediately contacted three people that used to play Division One quarterback and told them, I basically, without telling him the situation, how far could you throw it? How far could you throw it back when you would do long toss? They're all uh, 62, 65, 65, 62. I was like, Notre Dame has an otherwise good-looking yeah, recruit. They just threw it 49, yeah. and one of them just said that is absolutely ridiculous. So I, I think gonna, he can – I just feel like every quarterback can throw it farther than that. And so no, I agree. And wait, <laughs> before, you, before you got here, we were, we were talking about him a little bit. I just – he, I, I, the term I keep using is boxy. I mean, I just, I don't, he doesn't seem, you know, he really has to muscle up when he fire, fires a football. And that's okay as long as it's tight and compact and over the top. But I think he has difficulty really getting some air under it. And, and it's not, it's not the, 
it's not the go pattern. It's the deep yeah, out. That, that's it's the, the deep out that you need to be able to hit because you have to expose that part of the field 20 to 25 yards down the field. He previously had looked pretty good hitting the, I guess it wasn't the deep out, but we're just seeing clips of him that Kevin Sinclair had sent us. I mean, in, in camp settings, I, the timing is so good. He's immediately off yeah. his back foot throwing. <laughs> it was just... I mean, I, that, if that's the worst thing he does, that's fine. But I, I was alarmed when I saw that. It was yeah, like, it I mean, illustrates right. the situation for sure. And, and, yeah, and I didn't even because somebody said, "Well, you're you're basing this upon a 49 yard pass." No, I said, no, "I never yeah, said a word no. about a 49 yard pass." I'm talking I'm talking about just in general. But you know, he does a he does a lot of good oh, things. Yeah. I think he, I, you know, I, I, I think that he's proven that he's a leader and a winner on the high school level. Now he needs to take it to this level. You know, he, he book had his shortcomings coming in. Ian Book has shortcomings that hey, he has to disprove going into this year. So I don't know that he'll ever have a big arm, but I think that he's a guy that, look, Tyler Butner is the guy down the road that they really think yeah. is, is going to be their quarterback, and Drew Pine's going to have a, a step up on him um, fairly soon. Uh, we will come back for segment two, burning up the boards in a minute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider Burning Up the Boards is brought to us by Rent Like a Champion, South Bend's largest vacation rental company with 1,000 weekend home rentals close to Notre Dame Stadium available for Fighting Irish Game Days. Irish Illustrated readers and listeners can get $100 off their booking with the promo code IRISH2019. Our first question from Irish Math, who will be a better rover the 2018 version of Asmar Balao or the 2019 version of Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa? Not Bilal. He was not a productive player last year. He was, he was not an overly productive player. Now, they did, in fairness, when I did a comparison with him and Tranquil's stats as a rover, Tranquil was a thousand times better. They did take Bilal off the field more on third downward, whereas Tranquil stayed and made all his plays. But, I mean, as a rover the, the previous season, I, I just think Owusu-Koromoa is fit for this position. I mean, he was just clearly recruited to it. That's all he's played there, and I felt like Bilal in, in space struggled a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the recruited for it, I I want to have weight for that, but Shane Simon was also recruited for it, and now he's playing Mike <laughs> Linebacker. Yes, yeah. um, but I agree, Bilal not overly productive. Probably, I mean, we would say he was the 11th most productive starter on the defense last year. Yeah. I don't even know what the argument be. No, it wouldn't like, be. Bonner, Bonner, definitely better. Bonner and yeah. Heinish were both better. Yeah. Um, Usu Koromo will definitely be a lot better than 11th. Uh, that may say more about the other guys who are on the defense. But, I I mean, I liked I liked where Usu Koromo was coming out of spring ball. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure that that was going to be automatic coming into it. Because, I mean, I've heard a lot of critiques and criticism from people around the program that, you know, just not really getting... The system, the playbook, like there's a lot of like sort of unnatural things about it. It should have been, which a, we've heard yeah. about Bilal as well, yeah. which is concerning. However, that's that changed a lot in in spring. the The tone of the comments you hear from people inside the Goog are different about Owusu Koromoa, where they're 
the same about Bilal. So I feel like Uusu Cormo is much higher potential. You know, you can't measure a defensive player by tackle totals because Bilal, Bilal was sixth on the team in tackles very very quietly. But it's just it was just tackles. That I, was the, no, I nothing else. You know, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and it, right, exactly. I mean, he wasn't a big play guy. He had three. Did he have three tackles for loss? You know, he wasn't a guy that was just making a lot of plays. Bonner, you know, you mentioned Bonner. He's you know, He only had 23 tackles, but we all agree that he had – a much improved year and was effective. He also played his best game against Clemson, which kudos to him. Yeah, for that isn't that, one because it, that's, that's, that's pretty think interesting. Think about that. That's, that's a great effort. Yeah, I, you know, I guess I, I might argue a little bit more for Bilal just because he's, I mean, he's been in the program and we don't know exactly what Owusu Koromo is going to do with, you know, no real proven background at the position. Um, it's a good question, I think, over time. I think certainly, I think by 2020, I would say Wusu Koromo will be better than Bilal was last year, but I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that that I'm prepared to say that right now. I think this defense needs him to be better than Bilal was at that last year, because as Pete mentioned, if he was the 11th best defender, you can't have. I mean, you, you have some new guys. You're yeah. one of your corners, all of your linebackers, including Wusu Koromoa, your inside guys. I mean, we we expect the inside interior guys to play right. well and healthy, but I think he has to be a better player. Yeah, he does. Paul Mawala, of course, is going to play there, and we know that Clark leads high on on Jack Kaiser, so it'll be interesting to see how that rover position pans out. Amp thirty six. After reading the article about Notre Dame's schedule being one of the most unfair schedules this fall, I wondered what would be the best way to play the schedule. If you could. How would you best rearrange the schedule, keeping all else equal, like time of day and location? I w- I wouldn't change anything about the schedule. I, as far as order, order I would need bye weeks. Yeah. I would keep it well, exactly but seven, how seven it, opponents have bye weeks before they play you, in our day. Should we also change everyone else's? Schedule? No, I'm not saying <laughs> no. No, everyone should play a game internationally the week before playing Notre Dame. I, I agree. You can't. That that's the part of it. You can't. Cha- you can't change other teams' double, schedules. Like, but people need to remember it's a double bye week season, so you're going to have twice as many teams have bye weeks most likely before they play you. Because everyone has two bye weeks, not just one. Seven's a little extreme, wouldn't you, th- wouldn't you say? But if, but I say, would you say three would be extreme or four would be extreme? I eh. no, I, but, no I'm, I would. but I'm just saying. So you double it. That's how you end up. At you know how you made the joke about changing everybody else's schedule. I think if you just took away Virginia Tech's bye while Notre Dame is playing Michigan, that's the hardest. Notre Dame is playing Michigan. They're either exceptionally high or exceptionally low. What would and you, Virginia Tech comes in off the bye. That's you, the one. That would kinda, you rather have? Bye weeks for New Mexico, Bowling Green, uh, USC, Tech, Duke, Navy, Boston College, or Michigan has to play at Penn State. Yeah, no, this that, Saturday that's a great one. Before Notre Dame comes, while Notre Dame is and off. that and that is Notre Dame's second bye week before, yeah, before that is Michigan. But I get to change something, so I'm moving Virginia Tech's bye. Okay, that's, that's fine. The, yeah, you know, I, one change. You know, the the seven the seven's a little extreme. I mean, it 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 jumps out. It jumps out at you, and you know that there's some. There's four in a row in November. Virginia yeah. Tech's basically November Halloween weekend. That's why Boston. No, no, you know, that's, that's why Boston up. College concerns me because that's the fourth of those. And if Boston College is still standing, you know, because their depth isn't great, but if they're still yeah. standing and they're you know they're physical by nature, I think that that can be that can be a little bit of a tricky one. CMU Penns fan, do you see Tony Jones holding off young running backs on the ND depth chart, or do you think by the end of the year he'll be surpassed for the backup role to Jafar I did, the, the timing, I just did the Tony Jones Jr. counting down story today, number 21, number 21, in a, uh, according to our average between O'Malley and me. It, 
I mean, it certainly looked when the blue goal game ended, it's certainly the way Jameer Smith played that day. It certainly looked like that's a possibility. I still think that Tony Jones Jr. has a big advantage because of experience. Obviously, he's got to stay healthy, which he's had difficulty doing for the last two seasons. But the the you know Chip Long would love to have him and Armstrong in the game with the the passing options that they have. I see probably not. I, I think he'll be the number two all year. Um, when he's I, healthy, he does. He runs pretty. When he can, when he can, if he can learn to run through not being healthy because he mm-hmm. won't be healthy. No, they're not going to be healthy as it goes along. That's what he needs to do is <laughs> learn to run through it. I just throw on that Vanderbilt tape. I know they're not a great defense, but Notre Dame without Tony Jones loses to Vanderbilt. He was his best game of his college career probably. That's a good player when he's healthy. That's, that is the only 100-yard game on the roster right now. Yeah, you know, remember Jafar Armstrong was two yards short at Wake Forest? Yes. Almost crestfallen when we told him yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. I, look, Jafar Armstrong has not stayed healthy. He's barely played. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of what you know, running backs with experience would have. Tony Jones has not stayed healthy. Jameer Smith has not stayed healthy. He also has never played. Um, and then Sebo Flanster has never played. Kyron Williams obviously has never played. So... Yeah, I think Tony Jones will be number two all year. He might be number one if Jafar, if Jafar Armstrong gets hurt. Um, but I, I have a hard time ever seeing him being number three and being healthy. Uh, SR5452, why does Notre Dame start the fall camp at places like Shiloh and Culver? Do any other big-time programs do that? Yes. Um, as for, is the second question. For the first part, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I, You know, it's like they say they want to get away from campus, and like, but... Really, no one's on campus at that point. No. You know, I mean, I, I think it's just like they're together; they're yeah, somewhere else. It's yeah. team bonding, stuff. and they're they're going to be practicing in that same spot or spots all year. I get it. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't go through and find out where everybody goes. I, the the old Junction boys. Uh, yeah, it's not healthy anymore. Is, There's air conditioning. They enjoy things, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> it used to, I'm sure, it used yeah, to be used, a pain Culver, for Culver used to be very, very uncomfortable, but it's. It's a lot more comfortable, but what? what why? Because Notre Dame can afford to, uh, you know. I mean, it's close. Yeah, it's it's relatively close. It's about a forty-five minute max drive. Um, I do think it's it is a team bonding and team building right thing. Mm-hmm. They're yes. young. They're young, uh, young adults that like to be <laughs> do fun things like that. I mean, it is. It's a change of pace. I know it's at the beginning, but you have to do it. You kind of have to do it at the beginning because school's starting later on. But I mean, I, I hey, like that they do it. Actually, they didn't go to Culver. Yeah, no, I think it's good. We couldn't ask. Is it great to be back? We, we don't ask that anyway. But <laughs> okay, right. Somebody how, else might. How long will it take <laughs> yeah. you to adjust from yeah. Culver? Although this year it might be different because we're like, nice to be back in your brand new indoor practice facility. <laughs> They're probably going to say yes. At at Rob Ebert, what are uh, what are the national pundits seeing with Tommy Kramer that's getting him on the preseason All-American teams? If you had a vote... Which Northern players would be preseason All-American? I'll tell you what they're seeing. They are looking through old rankings and seeing that he was the number 37-ranked player on scout. VHT. One of the highest-ranked player there are, a very highly touted player, and they put him up there. Because what they're not seeing, I guarantee, is that he had a really good spring. They don't know that. He did have a very good spring. I, I, would, I was amazed for one second when I saw Tommy Kramer's All-American mention in a couple of magazines, and then I remembered like going into his senior year, Max Redfield was first-team All-American for Phil Steele. Yeah. Is VHT. It's Very just you look at the senior that has a bunch of starts under his belt, and you figure that's that's all that's going on. Yeah, that's but, why he's there. But the the better Robert Hainsey's a better offensive lineman than him right now. Yeah, Aaron Banks healthy is a better offensive lineman than him right now. 
I I think Eichenberg's going to take a significant step up this year. Yeah, if you're thinking Kramer's going to take a significant yes, step up, you will. have to think Eichenberg's going to take a significant right. step up, don't you? He's a logical yeah. one. Yeah, I think I think Notre Dame feels like they just need to. He just needs to flip the switch, and when he does, Eichenberg's going to be really good. But Tommy Kramer looked good in the spring. There was no doubting that. That it, is not it, what that the was, national pundits are looking no, at. That, that was that was immediate. Uh, the same way when we saw Brock Wright, it's like holy cow, he looks a lot better. Um, so that's encouraging. And I, we've always the clock on Kramer has always been accelerated. And he yes, still has yes. two years. He still has half of his eligibility left. So I don't know that he'll ever play to a five-star level. In fact, I'm sure he won't. But um, if he can play to a, you know, to a four-star level, legit four-star level, he's going to be a good college football player. Who? Second part of the question. This doesn't have to be offensive lineman. Who would you vote? I think we both vote. We could vote Aquara. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. he's all American. Um, Gilman. I I'd put a vote in for Gilman. Before yeah, especially I if you're doing, especially if you're giving me one, two, three teams. I mean, you. If you're only putting two safeties in the entire country, and it, that would be yeah. bias on our part because we watched Gilman play. But if you're putting he's first, like, second, yeah, and third team, third team, yeah, third team guy. Player. I mean, Aquara is the only one I would like say he should be a first team level All American. And Kareem could end up being it at the end of the year, I think. But I wouldn't put him there ahead of time so because I'd there's say, other guys. I'd say he's a, oh yeah, Aquara would be a one. Kareem is like a two. How three. I view a second team or third team All American, right. Gilman is definitely a third team. Um, I'm not sure anybody else would. I don't know that. I was going to say Jalen Elliott. I'm not sure he's going to ever reach that level, but I think he's trending. And I, based upon his last year and the kind of spring he had, I'd say he's trending in that direction. I wouldn't say he's a preseason All American, but there's a lot of really good good football players. A lot of really good corners. Pride is getting becoming a very good player. He was a really good player at the end of last year, but there's great corners. I mean, he's he still has to be. He has to be more consistently productive. Yeah, I thought after he uh, (laughs) whatever he did against Navy there, or Brian Kelly's. Put him on blast when we asked the question. He was uh, he became a productive oh, yeah. corner again. Was, yeah, remember the the Ole? It was, it was Troy Pride hurt? You'll have to ask him. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> mildly awkward. <laughs> At Mason Plummer six. What kind of season are you projecting for Braden Lindsay? His game breaking speed can't go unnoticed. Um, very limited season. I just I don't I don't see where a huge amount of reps are going to come. Um. But he'll definitely have more of an impact than he did last year when you know he didn't get on the field at all. But I, I mean, if double digit catches, I'd say, I say under. I say I, under. Yeah, I think it. I think twenty. We'll start to see the Braden Lindsay, the real Braden Lindsay, in twenty twenty. I, I just I like the other young receivers ahead of him. I like Wilkins ahead of him right now. And there's the other thing: the reality of when you see the numbers. It's not just him against Keys and Wilkins for playing time, and even earlier in the year, Javon McKinley and then Kevin Austin. That's the second group. It's also <laughs> the tight ends. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you don't take them off the field for Brayden Lindsey and Lawrence Keys. It's they, they they like to have them both out there. If Brock Wright, if Brock Wright has a good year, he gets the ten catches. Yeah, you know that's. I mean, there's there's always something to go around. This sounds like such a small number, but if you just look at. Like Nick Wisher had what four catches last year? It just there's not as many to go around. You, you do tend to go to your best players, and Chase Claypool and Chris Fink are going to get a lot. Ten to fifteen catches for Braden Lindsay would be a really, oh, be, really, yeah, it would really I mean, help. Comet, Comet is a is about to really cut into everybody's yeah. receptions. Yes. Uh, yes. I would think. I'm going to slip a question here right now uh, from uh, at Murphy's underscore Law. Can you please share with us good news on Kevin Austin? I. <laughs> What? I don't. Just, it's like, just is that like a, is it a request or a question? Yeah, it's a request. It's a request. It's, it's most definitely I, a request. Look, he's 
the coaching staff likes the way that he's worked this offseason. That's a positive. That's the only positive that matters. Uh, well, other than his like availability, which I his is everything I have told is unchanged. That he is not going to play for the first four games of the season. So I, I don't see a change happening there. I, I, you and I, we were probably talking to different people. I mean, I'm I'm confident in saying it's going to be at least two. I don't. Sure. Yeah. yeah. At least two. I well, don't, but what but you're you saying said, is we knew for certain. Dexter Williams and Kevin Stefferson. We'd figured out Kevin Stefferson. Yeah. Everyone knew Dexter Williams wasn't going to play the first four games. Right. I just know Austin's going to miss sometime. So if you say yeah. four, it could be that's, four. It could be, yeah, that's I the feel, way to say it. Feel like that's how it's going to be. Yeah. He'll he'll miss time, uh, but he's. I mean, the good news to me is that he's hasn't like picked right. up and left. I agree. Uh, I think that's... he's having a good off season. The coaches are are proud. The the yes. term that I heard was proud of the way that he's working. So that's good. I will, too, not to put a damper on the mild good news you just gave for Kevin Austin working, you know, asking some people, coaches and, and a few people at Notre Dame, about Stefferson back then, like after he was gone, apparently Kevin Stefferson worked like crazy to get back on the team. Just worked like a maniac, did everything they asked him to do while he was suspended. It, it's kind of just ridiculous that, that it ended like that. If you think about that, that he was that all in play football at Notre Dame when you're not going to play and you are just going, you're doing all the grunt work and all the extra workouts just, you're supposed to do. He wasn't all in at midnight on Friday no. and midnight on Saturday yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's, so that's, you need to, that's rough. Man. That's, that's being young. <laughs> I'll always lament not yeah. having Stefferson on the team. No doubt, no doubt. At Way to Go, K-Man, which of Notre Dame's 2019 opponents do you feel is being overhyped and which is not receiving enough? You know, I think Virginia's it's a, it's, it's properly like a request as well. <laughs> it's not a request. I'm, gonna, Michigan, I'm right? trying. Not, I was not going to say a word about it. I was just going to let it go and see what you said. I mean, the only one that could be overhyped would be Michigan because well, they're ranked so high. The big, yeah, There's the no big other way of overhyping somebody. The big, the big argument. Georgia, you're not saying Georgia's being overhyped? I don't think so. Um, Phil Steele has them number three. I think that's a little high, but... W- uh, what, can we disprove that right <laughs> no, at this no, moment? moment? We we can't. He was high on Notre Dame last year. Somebody was trying to say, well, he's just trying to sell magazines. Well, is he not trying to sell them to Georgia and Oklahoma and Ohio State and and Florida that you know that that feel like, hey, they got a shot. That it's not a you're not selling magazines. Phil Steele has a reputation. First of all, his magazine is remarkable, and secondly, the amount of work that goes into it, and third. He's just trying to be correct. He's not taking sides. Yeah, he's, he's actually a prognosticator. Pre- he's actually he's an analyst. where they'll be because exactly. of the schedule, too. I right. mean, that, that is what he often does. That's why he was so high on Notre Dame, and he was right, last year, is mm-hmm. the schedule. It all works out. That I realize that there's a lot of media bias, both politically and in sports, but there are some of us who try to be as objective as we possibly can. Phil Phil Steele's reputation is on the line when he makes predictions like that. He's uh, not. It's not favoritism. I, I he it's writes, what he thinks. Doesn't he write most accurate magazine on the cover itself? Yeah. Like that's he takes pride in the fact that he's projecting the season how it's going to finish, right. opposed to how it starts. I thought we put a decent bow on the Notre Dame Michigan thing last podcast for the preseason. <laughs> that Never. they're just about the same right now. Like, I think Notre Dame will there's be a little no, better than Michigan. There's but no if you bow said, until they're not on the schedule. If you said Notre Dame eight, Michigan ten, I wouldn't even blink an eye. And if you flipped it that way, threes just says three for anyone. You're like, whoa. 
that's the other playoff team, huh? That's because why three that, is off. That's the way Phil Steele is doing his rankings. Those are the four teams he's thinking he's yeah. going to make it. And you look at Michigan's schedule and say Notre Dame at home, Ohio State at home, Michigan State at home. I get it. Got, I, they're, I, at, they're at Wisconsin, at Penn State, but... I mean, you got to go on the road. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> yeah. you got to play somebody good somewhere, and those are, and those aren't. Oh, yeah. I mean, those will be difficult, <laughs> just like Notre Dame going to Michigan. But those aren't overwhelming tasks. I, Notre Dame going to Michigan is not an overwhelming task. Notre Dame going to Georgia. Yeah, that's tough. That's really tough. That's what I. I think in my state of the program, somebody said like, "Oh, it seems like you're really chalking up losses at Georgia and Michigan." And I was like, "Okay, Georgia is the only chalking opponent. Um, Michigan is just like." They're a good team. Notre Dame's a good team. We'll see how it shakes out. I, but I understand why Michigan's favored. I understand why people think Michigan's probably going to go 11-1. and Could do a 12-0 and like Notre Dame did last year, where they you know have a favorable schedule and you know, are not Alabama or Clemson. But somebody, somebody else has to make the playoffs. I will say, though, I would be surprised. Anyone you say you think they can go... 12 and 0 or 11 and 1 if it's not Alabama or Clemson my automatic answer is no they'll lose two games just because probably the they, logic of it is probably yes. they will right, right but like it's it's the same as Notre Dame yeah. last year um but the second part of that how about not receiving enough who do you guys kind of you're breaking it down I don't know. I mean is is Virginia not receiving enough I think they're I think properly now they are. I think yeah. I think it's yeah. Virginia Tech because everybody right yeah. everybody mm-hmm. is back uh, you and know I, I like their coach I mean, Fla- I mean, yeah I, like I mean Bud Foster's, Foster's defense is not going to post those terribly ugly numbers from it. Yeah, yeah. no, they're they're. I mean, most of their team is back. Virginia Tech is the one that jumps out at me, me in terms of the, of answering that question. I knew Michigan. I mean, I don't know. No, I don't think. I, it's I mean, only written for Michigan, not enough. Mike. I mean, I don't think. I think we've talked about Virginia. It's the week after going to Georgia. It's it. It can be a Pittsburgh like trap type game for Notre Dame. But even separate from Notre Dame, I think Virginia Tech. Let's say they're not playing Notre Dame. Virginia Tech is not getting enough. No. National credit. I think they're a bit of a sleeper team. Yeah, I agree. Whereas Virginia's properly you rated, could. right? They're twentieth, twenty fifth. Boston College lost so much stuff, well, but I do I just I do like their quarterback running back tandem. Yeah. Um but you know, as far as a team goes, that's yeah. they sort of have two they're, really good I players. I mean they, they completely had to rebuild their D line and that's yeah. that's, that's, hard a, for them. that's a tough thing yeah. to, to do. For well, then the best the Boston next. College teams are the when those guys are yeah. fifth year seniors and yeah. seniors and they're I, you know, I, maybe I shouted it for Stanford. Like I think people expect like Stanford's just going to be like they were last year when they were like not that great. That's a good point. You know, Costello's back. Their line has to be better. Um, I do think their their defense <laughs> it would is have like, to be, wouldn't it? Their defense <laughs> is not great. But the games at Stanford, I mean, they should be. Yeah, fine. They got a great corner. I know that. Mm-hmm. And getting greater, he's going to continue to get greater in a day ball. Uh, go ahead, Tim. Uh, H. Shannons, is that how you guys pronounce that? No one? idea. Yeah, that's why you let me read it, wasn't it? You yep. guys mentioned in your last podcast the several three-star misses at cornerback. Do you attribute that to the poor evaluation and recruiting efforts by the coaching staffs at the time, or is this a Notre Dame problem? And with the upgrading coaches who are more excited to recruit, do you see future three-stars having more success? Uh, I mean, I think to the last part, no. I don't. I think three starts will have three stars will have consistent success over time, um, and it will be less success than four stars. <laughs> I think the better the better solution there would be to have fewer three stars and more four stars. <laughs> I think the pe- thing people have to remember about the these three stars, like Trey Brace is a three star, and I think he'll be a good player. And they just got some more three stars. One of them will be a good player. Mm-hmm. But as you said, that average bring in four three stars, one of them will probably be good. And uh, don't say names. Like you got to take the name out of it. I, Tyler Eifert was a three star. You want to name some more tight ends that were three stars that weren't any good? I it's mean, a different situation. I mean, it's no, no doubt. guys. You can't rate the guy. The stars matter. In the collective, 
it doesn't matter for the one human being because he can outperform it. It's but, also the nature of the position. If you look at, I mean, I think KJ Wallace was a four star some places, but to me, he's more of a, a three star prospect. Isaiah Rutherford, three star prospect, offered Lewis Bartleson. One of them or two of them have to play because you need cornerbacks on the field. Does that mean three stars are having more success or just mean at your position there were only three stars so somebody by default had to play? And I think and when that happens, two of those got two of those five could be good, but you're not gonna get all five to be good. You're not hitting five three star corners in a two year no. cycle. It's yeah. just it's Cam, the way it works. Cam Hart, Kendall Abdul Rahman. If those guys I, I like K A R, um, but if he beats out Jordan Johnson, that's not good. Jordan Johnson needs to play. Um, you know, even Xavier Watts might be a different example because he's a three-star prospect. But I look, I, I just want to, I want to see the more talented guys play. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can. I know a lot of people argue the star system, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, it's been proven out. I mean, you get more, you get more productivity. Right. Percentage-wise, considerably more productivity percentage-wise from four stars. You could make a great Brian Kelly all three-star team, but you could make an awful one too. <laughs> Just awful <laughs> guys that don't play you could, at all. Yeah, you, they, could, you, you could, could I mean, put out a lineup on each side that never that never played. Never, yeah. Sure. It, it's just the, it's a numbers game. But there's the only way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, uh, B.L. Casper, in the recruiting class of 2020 has one major need right now, and it's safety. Can you guys talk about pros and cons with five-plus months remaining to find one? Who? Um, it's probably, it might end up being a name we're not even talking about right now. Or it could be Caleb Offord. I mean, that, it, ab- absolutely. That's why, I mean, you could, they could either recruit other corners and move one of the guys they already have a commitment from to safety. They're not going to get Lathan Ransom. Uh, a couple of other names I wrote down here, Jaron Thompson and Christian Gonzalez. Who was that one? Ramon, who did you say, Pete? <clears throat> He's oh, a safety prospect. Oh, the kid from uh, Bakersfield, California. Yeah. Um, I, and this doesn't help in 2022. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought you had Ramon it. Henderson. Ramon Henderson. <laughs> uh, right yeah. up on the page. That's right. good. Yeah. 6 So I think they're going to find they're going to find corner prospects who are slow and move them to safety. No, I'm serious. And, no, like, that's, good. and that's like, Just a bad way it sounds it, yeah. bad, but like, that's sort of how that works. Like, well, DJ that, Brown is not overly quick. That's the definition of a three star. <laughs> exactly. Some Something you point out and be like, you are not very good at this or need to improve in that. So, I, that's going to go the rest of the year. Um, I'm not really sure where the recruiting class will go from here, honestly, but there, there's somebody, well, like at, Ramon, somebody like Ramon Henderson yeah, needs to be part they're of definitely, it. With, they're definitely at an impasse with Offord and Watts. Yeah, committing there. I don't think anybody's going to uh, verbally commit anytime soon. There's a potential short-term answer to this uh, question in our, or answer in our next question too. Safety situation. Uh, from Stu Doggy Dog. Yeah, it doesn't help in 2022, 23, which is what this. Yeah. All right. Let me go ahead and recruiting ask. Recruiting class question let me, matters. Let me, but... let me go ahead and ask this question because I think there's a couple layers here. With Troy Pride moving over to boundary corner, it sounds like Houston Griffith is going to be passed over the season for a starting cornerback position what role do you see him playing in 2019 and where do you see his future with the program starting in 2020 uh could he be starting opposite hamilton is a transfer risk i hadn't even considered transfer oh, yet wow. I, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that was quick wasn't really, it so, from starting so, corner to transferring thought, bam. Thought, thoughts and prayers for houston griffith but on this question. uh stew doggy dog i we get where you're coming from there yeah i 
to be fair, uh, if Troy Pride plays corner and either Sean Crawford or Dante Vaughn or both, let's say Sean Crawford and Dante Vaughn are both healthy and Tariq Bracey gets better, I think Yusuf Griffith's better at safety as a corner anyway. He was moved there because of a gaping hole. And we talked about it before he moved. I said, I literally said, I think you move him there because he's a good athlete and you don't have anybody else. Well, now they might have somebody else. If Troy Pride's going to play there and you have a healthy Sean Crawford and a healthy Tariq Bracey, why not move Houston Griffith back to safety? And this this is, I perceive this as if Troy Pride plays there or not, he's going to. I mean, I know Brian Kelly has said, yeah. I don't know if it's to Eric Hansen at the South Bend Tribune or, or what, but the quote that I read was like, we're going to try it out at the beginning of camp. Well, th- this is something we talked about on this podcast yeah. in January because yeah. on the depth chart Notre Dame had <laughs> in the freaking football office, <laughs> the, Troy Pride was playing boundary, and then spring happened, and we're like, well, what happened to that? Yeah. You know, I think they're going to... They were going to try it, and they looked at it and said, no, let's, try, let's give Houston Griffith the 15 practices yeah, to, to do this. Yeah, and there are pros and cons. I mean, you want Pride playing his best position. He's he's peaking in, in his career at Notre Dame. You want him playing his best position. But if you put him at boundary, now you have some flexibility with your with your other corners, like, like Bracey in particular. You can get him on the field. You just can't play Bracey at the boundary. He's not big enough. And you probably can't play Crawford at the boundary for right. the whole season because he'll break down. Whereas if, Pry- if Pride's at boundary, then Crawford and, and Bracey yeah. are in play. And Vaughn could be a backup boundary if he's in good right. shape and can play. And then you don't really have as many problems. Yeah. Houston Griffith is a natural safety, right? I mean, we don't love him at corner. No. So this could be good for Houston Griffith. It's just delayed good. <laughs> I mean, uh, Houston Griffith looks really good physically. I think you would be hard-pressed to point to any moment last season where you're like, I get I, I oh, top hundred recruit man. I totally see yeah. it. I don't think he had. A, I don't. He didn't flash at all that way. Um, so played a really hard position. Exactly. Um, I just. I think that assuming that he's going to click is probably a mistake. If you're into assuming players are naturally just going to be awesome, um, I'm not. I'm not sure that Houston Griffith has has flashed in that way. Uh, question from Terry Benedict. If you could go on vacation with any former Notre Dame coach and player together for a week, wow. Lord, who would it be with and why? I, like in our current state? I mean, are we, are I, the, are I, the kids going? Are we talking all coaches or just head coaches? Oh, I mean, all coaches I mean, I, if you want to. I could. Well, I know Tanuta and I would definitely. I, I, we would probably stretch it out to two weeks. Yeah, We'd have such a good time together. Oh my God! Just trade, you know, just trading barbs back and yeah. forth and <laughs> witty, your witty quips. Oh yeah, <laughs> no doubt. I'm not even sure how to answer. I don't know. This question, well, I can't honestly. top the Tanuta thing. Right now. I, didn't, I didn't see that coming, so that's good. I, I just can't. I can't imagine spending that much time around another coach or player, or them wanting to spend that much time around me. I would you have to quit your job. Probably. I would. Right? <laughs> I would the... dig way back and. Um, hang out with Stams and Pritchett and Stonebreaker. <laughs> yeah, there which, you go. Which yeah. I actually, which I actually had an opportunity way back when. Uh, they've probably slowed down a lot since then. I, have. I would think so. <laughs> no. I hope they have yeah, slowed I, down for that moment. <laughs> I, I hope so. As far as coaches, you know, I would, I would absolutely love to have one more conversation with Joe Yanto. I, that's that's one that's one guy that I that I definitely miss. I loved um, talking football with Greg Madison. Oh boy, can I say that name? No, yeah. he's, he's overhyped. You can't do that. I I, I enjoyed. <laughs> for Iowa State, he's fine. I enjoyed oh, yeah. my relationship with Greg Madison when he was coaching at Notre Dame. 
I don't know about a week though for Crown. I think a yeah. week with Bob Diaco would be interesting, don't you, Pete? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like t- you knew Bob Diaco better than the, us, um, although we knew him intimately. intimately. We, knew him more so, we knew him um, more so. Than... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think from the current staff, um, you know, like Chip Long's easy to get to know. Uh, Clark Clark Lee, I feel like I, I I don't know Clark Lee. I feel like I have a lot in common with like. Very rarely in my time covering Notre Dame have I encountered a coach where I would say, like, if this person lived in my neighborhood, I would be friends with them. Like, we just sort of see things the same way. Clark- Brian Van Gorder. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Clark Lee is one of those guys. Um, but that's pretty rare. I think coaches are wired in a certain way, where, and I'm not. Um, <laughs> you know, where just, like, we just see the world differently. Yeah. Um, you know, Clark Lee is kind of an interesting guy that way who's just sort of, I don't know, cut from a different cloth. Long conversations, though. Nope, I, I cannot think of a player, honestly. I, I mean, I like Ryan Harris. I spent a lot of time around socially because I'm in Denver. I uh, do some re- alumni events there, and you know, I've sort of gotten to know him. Aaron Taylor's funny. Um, Aaron Taylor would be pretty yeah. funny to hang out with. But I don't know. It's just like, it's a weird The question makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, and a question from Bill underscore Nusser. No question. Okay, it's not a question. No question, just a statement. This podcast is a highlight. Of a Monday, great job. Keep up the great work. We appreciate that. I thought Monday Musings was the highlight of Monday. Bill Nusser. What in the world? Uh, <laughs> let me, let me, uh, Pete's going to have to slip out us here, and we will get together with you next Monday again. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Uh, question from Joseph Ramis. To follow up my question about Holloman, he asked about Jeremiah Holloman, who uh, at Georgia, who is not going to be on the team, which means they've lost their top five guys. Yeah. Now they're down to their top five receivers. I understand they have great recruiting classes, but at what point is Nordame taken seriously in this game? I think they're taken seriously. Yeah, I think so too. It's just <clears throat> probably better off if they lost their top quarterback instead of their top five pass catchers at Georgia for that game. Because he, no doubt, he really developed uh, Jake Fromm, and they have a great running game, great offensive line. But yeah, I, I, it, it's a big deal that they, that they lost all those guys. I mean, it's, five, it's, five, yeah, I mean, you're top five receiver. And we're not talking about five top five pass catchers. We're talking about the five. It's the, four wideouts and a tight end. In the NFL. Tight end. Tight yeah, end. Exactly. NFL. It's, hey, it's the Demetrius Robertson-Troy yeah. Pride matchup we were all waiting to see in the Lamar practice complex. You know, it's, it's, that's why we're, I mean, that's the most anticipated trip oh, it's great. of the year. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be a fantastic environment. It's going to be, you know, it's different to say, oh, I think they can go to Georgia. Then you go in that atmosphere that night, and it feels differently, and it's it's difficult. Notre Dame has struggled on the road, but they were good last year. So, um, and I believe that Georgia has a pretty good record at home as well. So, we are in our weekly uh, schedule cycle. Uh, today is July 8th. We'll be back on July 15th again to talk Notre Dame football with you. Thanks for joining us. It's time to start planning your trip to Notre Dame. Rent Like a Champion is South Bend's largest vacation rental company with over 1,000 weekend home rentals available close to Notre Dame Stadium. Head to rentlikeachampion.com slash illustrated to get $100 off your booking when you use the promo code IRISH2019. That's rentlikeachampion.com slash illustrated promo code IRISH2019.